This is Fearless Beauties, a podcast dedicated to developing voices of color in the beauty industry. We are talking to estheticians, skin specialists, and business owners to uncover best skin practices, tactical career tips, and ultimately, how we can create a better beauty industry together. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. So welcome to episode five of the Fearless Beauties podcast. Today we are talking about paving the way for a more inclusive beauty industry. And Mary and I, we are going to be breaking down some of the top beauty companies in the industry, talking about what they can do better in regards to inclusivity and diversity and kind of, you know, putting them out there a little bit. So let's just go ahead and get started. Yeah, I remember when we kind of talked about the leading beauty companies last season and how most of them are, you know, run by middle-aged or, as some people would say, more mature white men who are in their 50s, 60s, even 70s. And they're sort of defining in some of these more luxury, particularly, I think, luxury brands, is luxury brands the right word? Department yeah. store brands, yeah, maybe? I would say that. Yeah. They're sort of setting the standard for what's considered beautiful. Then I think that they really got kind of knocked around a little bit with Black Lives Matter and really people being more vocal about the lack of inclusivity, lack of representation. And they pledged mm-hmm. to do things. And so, you know, it was interesting for me this morning to spend a little bit of time kind of researching, did they really follow through on what they said they were going to do? Or have some of them even said they were going to do anything? Exactly. And I did some research this morning, too, but more on the side of what, what do the leadership teams look like in some of those brands? Like, is it diverse? Or is it, you know, full of all European men and women? So I think that the research I did was pretty interesting. What would you say? Well, tell me. Tell me what you found out. Okay, so I did not research all of the brands because that would that would take weeks. But I did research like Estee Lauder, for example. And Estee Lauder is one of the world's leading manufacturers and marketers of quality skincare, makeup, fragrance, Um, And of course, they make tens and billions of dollars a year. So what I found, I looked up just, you know, Estee Lauder leadership in Google. And out of the 15 on the executive committee, one is of color, who is an African-American woman. Her name is Deidre Stanley. She's the executive VP and general counsel. And she joined in 2019. So she's fairly new. But I think that was like the main thing. So one out of the 15 is of color. Everyone else is a man or woman of European descent. So I was looking at her some more. I went on her Indeed profile and she also did like an interview where she was asked um, what she sees as the most exciting opportunity in the global luxury sector today. And she responded in quotes, I am most excited about the many opportunities to better address the needs of our diverse consumer base, which includes efforts to drive greater local and cultural relevance and create a more inclusive range of products 
for people of all skin tones, end quote. So I thought that was, I thought that was great. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I I kind of looked a little bit because it was new to me, this um, 15% pledge. Oh, yeah, yeah. But have any of these beauty brands jumped on this 15% pledge? Not that I have seen no. in their websites, no. Mm-mm. No, Sephora has, but I don't know if you would, Sephora is just more of a distributor of, right. of things, but you don't see the big, the big brands. Because we do talk about, at the school, we talk about how um, there are, I think there's eight, eight beauty brands that sort of control everything and all the different companies that they have. So when you're looking at, like Estee Lauder, Estee Lauder owns Mac, Joe Malone, Aveda, Killian, Becca, Clinique, Lalebo, Origins, Too Faced, Glam Glow, what, Smashbox, La Mer, are all owned by Estee Lauder. Wow. <laughs> and for those who don't know, the 15% pledge is a promise to commit 15% of shelf space to Black-owned businesses. They're saying just Black because I think the the recent like uproar of Black Lives Matter, like you mentioned, and also like the Fenty Beauty products, like they right. really they really did something. So they're saying 15% of shelf space should be dedicated to Black-owned businesses. I mean, there are some people that are like, okay, well, why do we need this pledge? I have heard of some people saying, you know, the whole all lives matter thing. What do you think about that, Mary? I mean, I guess it's kind of, I don't think we're going down a rabbit hole, but I think it kind of has something to do with the 15%. Yeah. Well, I think that people that say that, all, you know, they don't, they don't want to endorse Black Lives Matter or Brown Lives Matter because they want to say all lives matter. Well, of course, all lives matter. But- who are the people that have been disadvantaged for centuries? Who are the people that are being affected by the systemic racism that exists in the beauty industry, in finance, in housing, in education? It is black and brown lives. So, so we have to do something about it. If you don't do something about the marginalized people in your community, what kind of society are we? So I think that we have to make big shifts. You know, I think this 15% pledge, actually, I loved it. Um, and I'm like, oh, how did I not know about this? But Do you think the these um, top beauty brands, like the CEOs of them, do you think that they have more of an all lives matter approach since they are not really doing like a follow up of them saying, oh, we're going to be more diverse and more inclusive First of all, I think that their main, when they think of who their consumer is, they think their consumer is a affluent white woman. And I don't think that they're thinking that that the consumer mindset is shifting and people are really looking for the and wanting to support the culture of a company versus just the product. And so people will will spend more. I, I know I will. I and or I won't spend on companies that I know don't sh sort of share my same values. Exactly. 
I, I, I do tend to look at the mission of a brand before yes. even purchasing from them. And so I think some of these companies like, you know, like Estee Lauder or I did a little bit on Unilever and we do kind of a, a little bit on Unilever's had some big controversy. Um, I don't think that they think about it, care about it, or have invested into in they ha- they're too maybe they're too large of an organization with too many layers of management to really get the message at the top that that needs to come down to the consumer. But I also think it's possible. I was trying to figure out if the leaders in these top beauty brands who are of color, when they began their leadership role in those companies, and most of them are pretty recent. So I think as a way to become diverse and inclusive, maybe they hired men and women of color. And they probably think like, okay, we did that. So check the box. Exactly. Let's move on now. Um, (laughs) Honestly, that's when I was doing my research, I was like, okay, yeah, I think that they're just trying to. I'm not a racist. I have a friend who's black. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. It's like, come on now. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I think things need to be better, but I think um, they're heading in the right direction. I think they are. I think that, that particularly because people are speaking up. I was reading about, you know, I said Unilever. Unilever. Um, they own they own a lot of stuff. Pears, VO5, Dove, St. Ives, Q-Tips, T-I-G-I. I don't even know what that is. Fair and Lovely, Ultrex, Pons, Lux, L. I don't know. Just, I don't, one, two, Caress, one, two, three, four, five, six, I don't know. 40 grams, probably. So they have Dove, their Dove campaign, which is like every woman's beautiful, right? And they do this commercial with all these different women. But remember when they had the woman, it was a black woman in a sweater and she took her sweater off and she became a white woman. No freaking way. Yes. I did not know any of that. Oh my gosh. And (gasps) who thought that was a good idea? No, Mary. No. <laughs> but then they also, they're saying every woman is beautiful, but they also promote the uh, product Fair and Lovely, which is a skin lightening, skin bleaching agent. Mm. And so those are two different, you know, how can you have both of those going on at the same time yeah. in one company? They don't really hold true to that mission statement of uh, a mission statement of inclusivity. So that created a lot of controversy. Yeah, (laughs) I can see why. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I use Dove products all the time. Like, I think that's all I use for like my my body. But you all know I'm in the YouTube world and I see a lot of the women that I follow. They're doing Dove campaigns and they're all women of color. So I think Dove is trying to do more with african-american women specifically um of all shapes and sizes i've been seeing like some of their new campaigns with like 
basically just all black women. So I think maybe they're just trying to <laughs> make people forget about what you just said, because that is horrible. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I'll send it to you in an email and you're mm-hmm. going to say what? But it says that their mission is more about building like positive body image. Well, I guess that that's definitely inclusivity. So they're just more focused on bodies instead of skin, skin tones. But I think it's pretty good. I mean, they're doing something. <laughs> well, I hope they've learned from this. I mean, this ad campaign, definitely. And I know they came out and was like, oh, it's regrettable. Regrettable? Who passed off on this? This didn't wasn't no. just like somebody sitting at their desk thinking, oh, yeah, this is a good ad. Okay, here, let's just run this on national TV. It had to go up the ladder how many right. times? And nobody exactly. went, this isn't a good idea. No, it was a horrible idea. I, I <laughs> Whoever did that should be fired because it's horrible. So I think they've made, I think they're trying to dig themselves out of the hole. And um, just to give you all some stats, uh, Unilever, out of the 13 on their executive committee, five are men and women of color. Um, oh. There were no. Yeah, I thought that was that was the more diverse that I've seen. Um, none of them are African-American, but a lot of them are like Indian, Hispanic. So I think that's pretty good. And I think Unilever is kind of based in like the UK or somewhere. Yeah. So and a lot of the executive committees in China and France and stuff like that. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. They're focused as far as I've seen on their website. They're focused more on protecting the environment and sustainability. They didn't really have anything like there was nothing about diversity and inclusion on their website. As far as I saw. Oh, that's so. interesting. I don't know if you saw anything different, but I I didn't see much. No, I got sidetracked down the rabbit hole of the, of the you know, kind of that advertisement. So, yeah. So um, I think there was another one I researched, which was L'Oreal. They are one of the largest cosmetic companies and top beauty brands in the world, which generates over $30 billion in annual beauty product sales, which is absolutely bananas. Um, but let's see, L'Oreal. The leadership consists of mostly European men and women. Out of the 18 on the executive committee, five are women, and of and of those women, two are women of color. So basically, two out of the 18 are people of color. So now I did. Re- so I have a little bit of more insight into L'Oreal in that I do create some educational content for SkinCeuticals, which is a L'Oreal mm-hmm. brand. And in speaking with their global director, and she is a white woman, um, speaking with her, they are supporting the and have given a large, they rec- first of all, they recognize, SkinCeuticals recognizes that they have focused mostly on white skin and that all mm-hmm. of their clinical studies, when they come out with, oh, we have all these clinical studies that prove the effectiveness, it's all been done on white skin. And mm-hmm. they are now going back and redoing those clinical studies on skin of color because they're they're a global they're a global beauty brand across the world and only have studies done on white skin does that make sense 
So they do feel that pressure to create more inclusivity. And they did give a large chunk of money to dermatologists of color. There's a particular group of dermatologists that are all skin of color, and they're doing a lot of uh, research and actually creating educational material for people who are working with skin of color. Because again, if you go look at medical uh, reference material, dermatology reference material, if you want to look at what what does rosacea look like, it only shows you a picture of a person with white skin. It doesn't show you what rosacea looks like on someone who has darker skin. Some, what, what, and certain diseases and disorders present themselves and look different with darker skin tones. Well, I think that's amazing. And I think it's great that you're working with them. I think it's uh, also great that these brands, you know, they say, yes, we have focused more on white skin. And I think that them owning up to that and then making a change is what we want to see instead of owning up to it and not doing anything about it. So I think that's amazing. Well, and I think the consumer has to just push and push. I -hmm. do know, and I also know that Maybelline, because Maybelline is owned by L'Oreal and they have come out with um, different foundation colors. I use Maybelline for my foundation. Um, and still, when I go to Walmart, I only see like, like <laughs> seven, eight. But I'm sure I'm sure they're doing something about it. But it just needs to, you know, get to the store. You need cause... the buyer. You need the buyer at Walmart to buy in and buy more foundation colors, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. But like you said, um, a lot of the consumers they are demanding for brands to be more accountable for Mm -hmm. their lack of inclusivity. And I think that is what is going to really just like push these brands to to do better. To make the changes. And I think that, you know, because these big sort of luxury department store brands, I don't know about you if you, like when you go into the department store and you go through that cosmetic section with all those different counters, I was reading that they're not, excuse me, set up in a way that is attractive for a person of color to shop there, that that women feel uncomfortable if they do want to, you know, check out some makeup or check out foundations or they want to have a makeover. I mean, most of the women working behind these counters are white women. I was just about to say, I was just about to say that. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a black woman in a Sephora. I usually go to Sephora. Sometimes I go to Ulta. I've never seen a black woman in Ulta or a man in Ulta. Yeah, well, our, our, you know, our medical director is black and she said she just quit going there because she goes in there and she says she people, their eyes get wide and they kind of put their hands up like, don't ask me for about anything. <laughs> I can't help you. <laughs> yeah. And then I think that goes back to what we've discussed so many times is they they put their hands up and like, I don't know what I'm talking about because when they go to school, they don't teach that. Yes. So I, I'm thinking like, would I go to someone who is not black if they knew what they were talking about? Yes, I would. If they were confident in knowing what they were talking about, I definitely would. But since they do not, we have to do our own research before we go into the stores. 
I would watch YouTube videos of what other African-American creators were putting on their face. And then I would go into Sephora and purchase it. And then I'll be on my merry way. But you never, you know how sometimes those employees, they come up to you like, oh, let me put it on your face. No. Would you like a makeover today? Right. I've never had someone come up to me and ask if they, if I would like to sample something or whatever. So I'm glad you said that because I'm starting to recognize more and more like my consumer experience as a black woman. So yeah, even interesting. My sister, so my sister, I have a sister who works for Clinique and she got a new manager who was black who came in now my sister's at her counter and the manager comes in and says why why do you have your foundations listed lightest to darkest (laughs) and my sister's like she's like i want you to change that right now (laughs) and so wow so what do you think of that because i mean honestly I don't know. As a black woman, I don't I don't mind if the shades are lightest to darkest. That doesn't bother me. But I think because of the whole Black Lives Matter and all of this new inclusion and diversity stuff, I think they're like, you know what? Let's change things around completely and let's do darkest to lightest. What could it hurt? It's a good lesson, I guess, for people like my sister that are in that direct to a, to a consumer mindset of like, it doesn't have to be lightest to darkest. It makes you switch your brain around and have a greater focus and maybe pay attention to the customer walking through who might be a person of color to say, and stop them and like, hey, did you know we have, you know, XYZ that I think would look great on your skin versus you're only focusing on the first six shades of foundation that you have. I think I would have noticed more if there were like 10 fair skin shades and like three uh, darker skin. But other than that. Yeah. Because that's how Fenty Beauty is. Fenty has what, 40 shades and they go from lightest to darkest. Um, So, but I understand. I understand completely what you're saying is kind of just why does it have to be one way? Well, and I think another growing market is going to be a little bit of um, men wear makeup too now, you know. And so I think beauty brands are going to, they they need to become more diverse in recognizing LGBTQ community and in catering to a men's market and to a men's market that's not necessarily like the rugged lumberjack guy that's going to wear, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, um, what's that? The sailing ship aftershave, Old Spice, right? You got yeah. you got to have more beauty brands or maybe beauty products, skincare products that are going to cater to just all, I guess, all male, female, and non-binary, everyone. So basically, you're saying not just those manly men, <laughs> but those men who are also pretty feminine i guess yeah well and maybe not even feminine but men who care about their skin Mm -hmm. because Because manly men are characterized as you know being dirt is best yes (laughs) (laughs) 
What do I need that for? I just put soap and water on my face. That's right. I wash my face on. with shampoo. <laughs> yeah. Those three in one things. <laughs> like we need to, men should not be using three in one anything. Shampoo, body wash, and conditioner or whatever. No. I mean, just like women don't have a three in one. Do you know women products who have three in one? I I don't use anything that's three no, in one. Absolutely not. The more so little men, bottles on the bathroom counter, the better. Right. So men need to save. And I think I've seen it a lot on Instagram where some of um, like the small businesses are catering more to men and teaching men that their skin is important. And no, you cannot just use soap and water. But I don't know if these big beauty brands, you know, the ones that we've been talking about, do they have things out there for the men's market? I, I think it's just I smaller brands. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I, but think so. I can't say I know for sure. But I have a feeling it's all sort of directed towards, towards like I said, the affluent white woman as opposed to, and it's the small those smaller brands, the Fenty. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of what's another one that's that was sort of a little bit more non traditional. Well, even our um, that skincare that I sent you. Oh goodness sakes. With the owner in New York who's trying to create a, a skincare line for transgender. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just looked at it yesterday, too. I don't remember what the brand is, but yeah. Yeah, I think he's got such a great um, idea with, you know, and it's, it's like simple systems um, of skincare for, the, for that group of people that are struggling you know, as they have different hormones and all that kind of stuff going through hormonal changes that they have a system for someone who's transitioning male to female and a system for for female to male. And I, th- I thought it was just brilliant. Darn it. I was just about to, I thought I found the, the company name, but I lost it. As I go into Ulta and Sephora, I actually look for certain things now. So. Oh. It's very interesting. I have to say, as a black woman, I honestly, I wasn't woke. Let's just say I was not woke. So I'm becoming more and more woke now. Well, so what kinds of things do you look for? I look for like the range and shades. Mm-hmm. I look uh, for diversity and like employees. Oh, yeah. Uh, what we talked about before. I look at what is at the forefront. Like, you know, how sometimes they have like those huge displays of certain makeup. Like mm-hmm. I look at what mm-hmm. is being displayed. Um, and I like I think I went into Ulta the other day. And I think right when I walked in, there was like a uh, I don't remember, but it was a brand and it was dedicated to transgender or the LGBTQ community. Ooh. So I saw that and I was like, Awesome. Awesome. Have you heard of one size? So that I think is in some maybe Sephora or Ulta and they're focused on sort of men and women, but LGBTQ. Oh, by Patrick Starr? Yeah. I love Patrick Starr. I I don't know who Patrick Starr is. (laughs) Oh, and it's crazy because he went to the same high school that I did. Oh, my gosh. I know. I used to watch him all the time on YouTube, but he is a man and he is well 
Yeah, he's a gay man. Um, and he just he went he just built his brand from YouTube. Um, he's a makeup artist, but yeah, I mean, he's doing it up. Oh wow! I did read about um, doing some research for today about how the the online experience for people of color is much better than the in store experience. Because mm. online, they're making it better. Uh, graphics and all that kind of stuff is better for like determining your right shade. And they have more color options. I mean, because, okay, it's more than foundation, but also warm skin tones and cool skin tones and what kind of, you know, lip colors and eye colors are going to look right well. And the, yeah. the, online, the online experience is better than the in-store experience. I can... I can agree to that because I think we just talked about why yeah. why it is. It's no one knows what they're talking about in those stores. Now we do carry here at the school. We do carry Beauty Bakery. Have you heard of Beauty Bakery? Mm-hmm. I have. Yeah. And yeah, we carry their foundations because our mineral makeup. We do carry advanced mineral makeup, and it just does not have the darker. Uh, shades of foundation so beauty bakery mm -hmm. has been really great for us so that you know everybody can feel good about the makeup that they're putting on and i'm looking at the one size quizzes they have a foundation quiz an eyebrow quiz and a concealer quiz an and eyebrow quiz what would you be quizzing on your eyebrows what color is your eyebrow oh is yeah. it light blonde red light brown dark brunette brown or gray Oh, yeah. No, brows. This is my, my girls are always going after me with my brows. If ever they want to, like, do my makeup, they pencil in my brows. And then I just feel like I look like someone has taken, like, Groucho <laughs> Marx magic marker and just squished <laughs> it across my face. I cannot do brows. So I don't I don't do brows. I am very minimal with makeup. I could not do my brows. I don't do lip liner, eyeliner, nothing that takes me like keeping my hand still because it's just gonna look a, a mess but yeah I mean the brows like especially now with wearing masks brows and lashes that's all you got yeah that's so, that is absolutely true <laughs> you better do it right <laughs> <laughs> well I just I just fade into the <laughs> fade into the background no no makeup Ugh, but I got all my, you know, 20 step lotions and potions in the morning. So, yeah, I, the stuff that you sent me, I've been using it and I've honestly seen a difference. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, I was wondering why I needed a discoloration defense. Um, But I mean, I trust you. So I just started using it. Well, and it's just going to help. So it's, you know, where you get PIH. It's going to just help that kind of fade and kind of put those melanocytes that are overproducing, put them to sleep a little bit so that they produce more slowly. That'll give you more even skin tone. Yeah, I've definitely like even when I touch my skin now, it's a lot softer. Oh, good. Um, I don't have to wear makeup as much anymore. I'm just like, I'm just loving it. I'm loving it. So thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Because <laughs> I was struggling over here. <laughs> so um, I guess we can talk about the last thing is like, where is there still room for improvement? I mean, we kind of went over it, but especially in those bigger brands, um, 
I had a question actually. Do you honestly think that bringing on more men and women of color into these executive positions, do you think it will really make a difference or do they really need to get inside and research and hook up with, you know, beauty influencers of color and stuff like that? Like, do you honestly think that, oh, I am a man and woman of color at the top of L'Oreal? Do you think that it's honestly going to make a long-term difference? So I think, yes, but it's going to take a, ge- a generation of not just one person because it's so entrenched. It's got so many fingers and feelers that sort of move down through the company. And these multi-billion dollar companies have so many layers of management that somebody at the top, I don't think one person and a board of 15 people or whatever has the ability to create that level of change all the way down to the consumer. I think all those old guys need to retire and get replaced by by people that have their ear or their vision more towards identifying with their consumer and creating products that the consumer is going to believe in. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, um, there has to be like a personal connection to get people to stick with the company and purchase. So I think it all goes like we need to see, we need to see like it needs to be a multi-ethnic leadership. Like even, I don't even know if this will ever happen. I hope it does. But even like the LGBTQ, like we need to have some of those in, in these executive leaderships. Like the LGBTQ community, like they purchase a lot they're a huge part of the beauty brand. So, and I think that's why small businesses are forming because they don't see it. So we need to have more of those in executive committees and then they need to partner up with these smaller brands and just kind of make a a big difference. Like it just, I don't know. Well, do you think any of these smaller brands are going to get bought out so say i mean fenty beauty obviously multi yeah million dollar brand but would it get bought out by say a l'oreal or a unilever or um do i think rihanna will allow that to happen i think i think if that those bigger brands if their mission is really to be more diverse and inclusive yes but Fenty Beauty, honestly, I don't see it happening. But some of those smaller brands, yeah, I, th- I can see it happening. Yeah, I, I think if they buy out some of these smaller brands and then the people that are in leadership in the smaller brand right. can stay in leadership in the larger corporation, exactly. then I think there's uh, a chance for faster improvements, faster yeah. progress. Definitely. Yeah, so I think... Uh, the answer to the room for for improvement, I think there will forever be room for improvement. Um, but we're slowly getting there. I think it's a lot better than it was two, three years ago. 
pretty darn sure. So, hey, progress is progress. We're looking for progress, not perfection here. That's right. Always moving forward. When you know better, do better. Integrity, people. Yes. Integrity. Okay, well, I think we've kind of hit all the points. We've compared the types of leaders in these major beauty corporations. Um, We talked about if their products are inclusive. And then we lastly talked about, you know, the room for improvement and are these companies actually doing what they say they're going to do. So I think we've hit all the nails. Yes. Well, I just wanted to end, end with Uoma Beauty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uoma Beauty. So just two years from launch, they had a revenue of $10 million. Wow. And their owner. That is amazing. I know. Their owner says, I think that should be a lesson to everyone on the power of including people on the power of purpose, because it's not just a thing for charity. It's very, very good for business. And I think that for any brand that can't adjust, they're going to go obsolete. Oh, yes. I love that. Especially that last sentence. Yes. If they cannot adjust, they're going to go obsolete. I think that will happen. Yeah, and I think that's a great ending to this podcast. It's basically talking about what that's just a sentence of (laughs) that sentence said everything. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, I guess that is the end of the podcast or this episode. I really hope you all enjoyed it. I always love to plug in our social media. So you can find us at Fearless Beauties on Facebook, Instagram, our Fearless Beauties podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, um, what else? Fearlessbeauties.org, where you can check out our ambassadors, Fearless Beauty certification. We have it all. So yeah, anything else, Mary? No, I think you covered it. All right. So we'll see you all in two weeks. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fearless Beauties, a show dedicated to elevating voices of color in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Mary Nielsen. And I'm your other host, Taylor Phillip. Until next time, keep educating yourself, remember to stay open, and be fearless in the pursuit of creating a better, more inclusive world. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Special thanks to my co-host, Taylor, and our producers at Quill, Inc.